Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD for October 30th, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Paris, and with me in the studio, or not necessarily in the studio, out there in the ether today is Bruce Frazier, longtime professor of Golden Gate University and expert on one of the pioneers of technical analysis, Richard Wyckoff. Great to have you, Bruce. Great to be here. Thank you. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current markets, having the patience to wait for the right moment, and we will talk about current stocks. So let's get into the current market. Right now, we have the market in a confirmed uptrend. Uh, the indices have hit new highs this week. We have four distribution days on both the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. Uh, so the markets are at new highs, but still a little choppy, but underneath Stocks are starting to set up a little bit more. And as always, the last few months, the market has continued to be resilient. Bruce, what, what are you seeing in this market right now? Well, I'm, I'm very bullish. Uh, I've been bullish uh, really for the last three or four months. And I've written a number of blogs uh, expressing that idea, largely from this notion of the financial repression. Mm -hmm which is that we have these uh, very low interest rates. These low interest rates uh, have made the stock market uh, really a very attractive place to be. And it's put, I think, a bid under the stocks that have value and income. And I'm, I've written about this recently, but I believe that we have rotation taking place away from growth and towards these more you know, you know, there's a number of terms we can use cyclical value income, et cetera. Yeah. But that we're, we're moving, uh, money is starting to migrate towards those areas. And, and that isn't to say that growth is, is not going to be a good place to be. It's just, I don't think where the attention is going to be on the, you know, in that segment of the market for at least a little while. And you can really see it in the way that the, the the relative strength is setting up uh, and de-emphasizing growth and emphasizing these other areas. And and what are some of the sectors that, that you're uh, seeing that are starting to get that relative strength and, and starting to benefit from that rotation? Well, you can really see it in the industrials. Uh, you can see it in banking. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see it in pharma. The um, uh, I think that some of the, the more deep Deeper value areas, uh, a couple of the stocks we're going to look at today hopefully uh, represent uh, areas that are um, uh, just more uh, value-oriented and have yield. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that would be the emphasis is to look at where the yield is. And it doesn't have to be particularly high yield. It, I think that it's just stocks that have the ability to be able to consistently produce yield and grow their yield. And it doesn't have to be high, but I believe that there could be tremendous appreciation in those stocks. And so uh, there's a number of sectors. Uh, the consumer sectors have those attributes, industrial sectors. Uh, uh, we can see it in the utilities. We mm -hmm. can see it in uh, communications, et cetera. And, and that's perfect. And 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 what's always interesting, and we'll definitely talk about this more in the episode, is you're getting all this insight 
from just analyzing the charts and relative strength. And, and that's the beauty of, of these strategies of using technicals to uh, lead you in the right direction. I am a pure technician. I am totally old school. Uh, the, uh, the one thing that I do that, because, you know, I feel like I've come home here. It's <laughs> I've, I've, I've returned back to my roots because if we go all the way back to the uh, sort of the beginning of my career, uh, the first place that I landed was at uh, William O'Neill. And so to land at William O'Neill and and be able to study CanSlim yeah. in technical analysis and uh, growth characteristics, I have taken those attributes for my for my own, and I use them as all of us uh, uh, acolytes of uh, CanSlim. And uh, I'm a daily graphs guy. I've yeah. got you know back. I think I had my. I got my first daily graphs book in 1981, and and, uh, and so just to make clear for for those who are a little bit newer uh, to our system and, and really to our products, uh, the daily graph you're talking about these old daily graphs chart books that were printed every week for both the Nasdaq and the New York stocks, and they were delivered to you for years and years, and that was really gave you the edge in the in the market. And I had those books in my grubby little hands all week long <laughs> until the next books came. Yeah. And I would like go around with them. And if I had one second of extra time, I would be in the have my nose in those books, looking at those charts. It's just fantastic. And I think you know, Market Smith is fabulous, and it's certainly my a very important go to uh, service for me and uh, it is the electronic version of that and how I sort of recreate that today is I take my iPad around yep. and I'm always in my MarketSmith app on my iPad looking at those. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of it is just looking at enough charts, get, getting that insight on what stocks are setting up, what stocks are near new highs and what stocks are showing that relative strength. Absolutely. And I just think it's just a great service for that. So, so let's get into a little bit more of your back background and how you got started. And we'll, we'll hold off on on some of this uh, because we'll, we'll save this for a segment too because it's it's just a great great story. But your family business, uh, it was horse racing, and and you were thinking about going in that direction, but. But during that time, as you were uh, learning about, uh, you wanted to learn more about uh, finance, and so you ended up going to Golden Gate University, and that's what kind of exposed you to the market and, and technical analysis. Well, exactly right. And I had, as a, when I was very young, I started going to the racetrack with my dad, and we worked, at, now this is Northern California, and we would work at different tracks depending on where the meets were and I was like six seven eight years old and I just couldn't get enough of it I just had to, I wanted to go go to work with my dad work at the track and uh, it's just I just fell in love with it mm -hmm. and so I had spent literally my whole career this is what I got you know it's the job that got me through college it's uh, the um, where I kind of learned life, how, you know, sort of the lessons of life was through being at the track. And I had all these great friends who were all adults. I'm a kid. And uh, they all wanted to, you know, teach me 
the rules of life uh, via the racetrack, which, <laughs> you right. know, I'm not sure, but that that's the truth of it. And uh, but I learned a lot. And as I look back on my career growing up and I did all the different jobs, you could imagine all the jobs at a racetrack. Well, I did a lot of them. And uh, so I would do any work I could get. But uh, the thing was, is that as I look back on my investing career, the lessons I learned being around horse racing and handicapping really, really did inform my career as a trader, as a speculator, as an investor. And uh, so and and it really, as a matter of fact, I had developed when I was at the track, I noticed that most people lose money at the racetrack and I'm uh, watching these people handicapping horses and I'm realizing that this is not a game that's easy to win. And so as I got a little older and I like kind of liked math, I started doing sort of simplistic analysis on probabilities and uh, regarding uh, handicapping and, and horse racing. And, and later on that really served me well when I became a stock market person. And so I uh, had developed a lot of my uh, sort of probability thinking really from the racetrack as a kid. And that was really important to me because the one thing I learned from doing that research and work as a kid was, was not to hand, not to play the horses. Yes. And so (laughs) that was one of the, that's a good lesson. That's definitely a good lesson uh, to get. yeah, I learned a lot about the VIG, you know, how how much money gets taken out of the handle okay. on each race uh, and, during and the that, day. And that's the, the track just taking their cut, right? Take Yes, taking their cut. I learned a lot about uh, how to evaluate the VIG in speculating in stocks yep. and how to understand uh, the costs of uh, trading. And the importance of minimizing those costs as a way to be able to create consistent results. And so this was very important to my education. Perfect. So let's take a quick break here. And then we're going to continue with this story because Bruce learned a bunch about horse racing, but then also realized that, okay, maybe this is not necessarily the path. But when we come back, we're going to learn where his path took a dramatic turn when he started to go as a student uh, as a grad student to Golden Gate University, and he when he was exposed to technical analysis and Wyckoff. So stay tuned. Hey everybody, Arusha here. This December, IBD is hosting the last ever Canceling Masters program, and you don't want to miss it. The Masters program is an intensive two-day investing workshop that can change the way you trade forever. You'll learn strategies for increasing your profits from top portfolio managers like David Ryan, Scott O'Neill, and yours truly. This event has a very limited amount of tickets available, so don't wait to buy yours. Go to Investors.com Masters for more information and to save your seat. Bruce Frazier is our guest on Investing with IBD. Okay, Bruce, let's continue this story of your career. And let's talk about you were at horse racing. You, you, you grew up in the business. That's what the path you thought you were going to go. But you uh, decided to go back to grad school. 
and learn more about finance. And you ended up at Golden Gate University, and suddenly your whole life changed with one class and one professor. I had decided that I wanted to go back to graduate school because if I didn't think there was any other job you could do in the world other than horse racing. Okay. I just thought, you know, this is just, that was my world. Yeah. And so I go, uh, I decided, well, if I'm going to have a career in horse racing, I'd like to be able to do everything I can to improve my opportunities to be able to get a good job, maybe be in management. And so I went to graduate school and uh, worked on my finance degree. And while I was at at Golden Gate University, which the reason I chose Golden Gate, it had a good reputation, was in downtown San Francisco in the financial district, was it was I could commute there from the racetrack. Perfect. And so I went to yeah, I went to Golden Gate. So it was a pure accident that I went there. And uh, uh, my fi- one of my finance professors said to me, he goes, you know, you may not agree with uh, the technical analysis methodology but there's a course here that I think you definitely need to take. And it's taught by Dr. Hank Pruden. And it's a, uh, a course, people like the course. He says you may not agree with the, the material or the concepts, but it's, it'll be uh, valuable for you to have this exposure. So I took the class and I think it was the second week of class, the second night, because you go once a week, mm-hmm. it, you know, because these classes were taught in the evening. And um, so the second week, second class I took, I came to the conclusion this class was so dynamic. It was so interesting. It's so related to my experience in horse racing that uh, I said, you know, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And how, this is my... and, and, and how did it re- relate to your experience in, in horse racing? Well, it was a, it was the same game. It was uh-huh. just bigger, okay. <laughs> you know. Horse racing has tremendous limitations in terms of bet sizing and uh, the, inve- the 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 uh, handle or the pool of money that's being bet, and and so on and so forth. The the, the it's just the size of the stock market just seemed infinite to me. Yeah. And then I started to you know really understand the concepts of speculating in stocks, and I realized that there's a much better opportunity to create an edge in the stock market that you cannot create in horse racing. That the costs of uh, m- making a bet in horse racing are much are very, very high, and the costs of being able to uh, come up with a, uh, a, a low risk, uh, low cost, trading opportunity in the stock market was much better than it was in handicapping. And so I realized that it was a similar game, but it was a much better game. Okay. And so I was very excited about that. And then I loved, because I was very visually oriented, Yeah. I loved charting. I absolutely loved it. And so Dr. Pruden, who was the best teacher that I'd ever had, and uh, – Ultimately, we became teaching partners, and he was certainly one of maybe my most important mentor in my life. Uh, uh, he, you know, he really uh, was an incredible teacher of the technical analysis skills, and and of course he was a Wyckoffian. Uh, 
Yeah, and, and so that's and, how and I got is, my exposure uh, to Wyckoff. Yeah, and and so let's go over some history of Richard Wyckoff. Uh, he was back during 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 the days of Jesse Livermore, right when the stock market was uh, really starting to get its footing there. Why, why don't you talk a little bit about Richard Wyckoff? Well, Richard D. Wyckoff, he he really uh, started his career as a teenager as a runner on Wall Street in the 1800s, late 1800s. And uh, he was just a brilliant young man. I don't think that his formal education really went beyond what we would call a junior high school today, but he was just incredibly, uh, uh, you know, uh, curious mm -hmm. and uh, interested and intelligent. And he started to really pay attention to what was going on and he started to see patterns in uh, stock purchases and sales from where he, because back in the day, they literally ran the certificates back and forth from firm to firm. Wow, and wow. so he knew who the big operators were. And he started to ask the question, you know, what are the real rules of the game of Wall Street? Because he saw, as I did in handicapping, yeah, he saw in uh, in the stock market that most people lost money. And so he's like, well, what are, are the real rules of the game? And why don't these people know the real rules? Why is it so hard for, you know, normal people to make money? And he realized that there is a, a process by which the very, very successful, what he called composite operators is there was a way that they conducted their activities in the market and he was a chartist. He called himself a tape reader, but he really was reading charts. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, he was a, he developed methodologies for being able to see the footprints of the composite operator, either accumulating stock and building positions in stocks that they wanted to own and campaign to much higher prices. Or they were distributing stock stealthily, carefully, and distributing that stock to the public. And when they were done uh, distributing the stock, the stock was in a position to go into a free fall. And and yeah. and you can see the parallels already, or the influences that you know what Wyckoff had on you know, William O'Neill on Canslim, because it's very much the same language. The game is very much the same. Absolutely. And I actually consider William O'Neill to be a, uh, a classic composite operator yes. who also, in his own unique way, to give him credit, is uh, someone who wanted to share his knowledge with others. He right. wanted people to understand the right ways to participate in uh, the markets. And that also, I think, was part of Richard D. Wyckoff's essential nature was that he really was concerned about the public. He wanted the public to learn the right ways to uh, conduct their operations. And that here's the secret is that if you know how to do this, you can ride along with the composite operator and it's actually easier for the public to do this than it is for the CO to do it. Exactly. And, and so that, that provides a good segue on, really waiting for the right moment because you spoke about composite operator, the composite operators, or you know, th these days we call them institutions. 
uh, building a campaign, acquiring their shares, building these bases. So let's go into one of the lessons that you've learned over the years, uh, having the patience and waiting for the right moment to start to buy stock or, or really actually start to execute your plan. Well, and can't we all say that we've seen a really good idea, but just seen it way too early? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> uh, I've done that a few times. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the the whole thing about uh, Wyckoff, and you can go back and read my old blogs, and you can see a lot of this material, and you can see schematics about how this is visualized on a chart, but a chart is telling a story and the story is is that the chart is saying that the CO has shown up and starting to put bids under the market or under the stock and it's creating a trading range in that stock which ultimately is producing what we might call in this case accumulation and so they are systematically accumulating shares think of a Warren Buffett Yes. How long it must take Warren Buffett to build a position in a stock that he wants to own. It's got to take months. Exactly, yeah. And so think about Warren Buffett being in competition with other big CEOs that are thinking just the way he's thinking that are also buying shares. They are very careful not to bid up the price of the stock on themselves. And so they conduct their operations in a way that they won't drive up the stock price unnecessarily. And so you can see this the conduct of this operation in the charts. So the charts will show you the evolution from a stock beginning to make a bottom to the completion of the accumulation where the stock is now ready to go up. Mm -hmm. And why does a stock go up a lot? A stock goes up a lot because the, because the floating shares of stock available to be purchased have all been locked up by these very large composite operators. And the only thing that is going to cause them to start to sell their shares is much, much higher prices. And so what you create is you create a shortage of stock. Stock is unavailable to be purchased. So when other institutions show up and want to own that stock, the only way they can even uh, attempt to buy shares is at higher and higher prices. And so this is the art of the patience of waiting for that critical moment and Wyckoff used to call it a hinge uh, uh, where, or a pivot uh -huh. where a stock is ready to go from the inaction of completing an accumulation to the action of marking up. And when stocks begin to mark up that are tightly held or have been absorbed is the term that we use, they can go up dynamically. And, and in O'Neill terms, that's the, that's the breakout right there where all of a sudden there are no more shares available for sale at that price and then once you have that demand that continues to come in it causes an explosion in, in the surge of the stock perfectly said exactly so and so we use the Wyckoffian um, techniques for being able to identify 
individual bars and, and segments inside of accumulation ranges where we can see behavior changing. Because even though the CO is doing a good job of not driving up the stock price on themselves, they're being very careful uh, to buy shares in a way that they can just absorb or accumulate. But eventually they, they just can't, there's no more to be bought. Yep. And uh, you can see all of that behavior in the unfolding action of the uh, accumulation range. Perfect. And so if you can identify those different phases of the accumulation, you can identify and you can be patient because this is really what the segment's about is patience. Mm-hmm. We can be patient and wait for that right moment when the market is ready to pivot and turn up. And we, we can become active and build our positions at that right moment. We don't have to do what the CO does, which is to buy all the way through the base. We can wait for that right pivotal moment on the hinge. Perfect. Well said, Bruce. So having the patience and waiting for the right moment is the difference between having a good year and a great year. Coming up next, Bruce and I will talk about three stocks that are setting up in the market. We'll be back. Want to find stocks like the ones on this podcast? A lot of the best names we talk about come from IBD's exclusive stock lists, like the IBD 50 and the Big Cap 20. Whatever type of investor you are, we got a list for you. You can access every one of IBD's lists, plus stock ratings, exclusive analysis, and one-on-one coaching with a membership to IBD Digital. It costs less than a dollar a day, but for podcast listeners, we're offering an even better price. Go to Investors.com slash podcast offer right now and get your first two months for only $20. We are back with Bruce Frazier on investing with IBD. Okay, Bruce, let's get into some current stocks. And the first stock is Polaris, ticker symbol PII. And uh, this company is involved in all-terrain vehicles, snowmobiles, and other recreational type of gear. Uh, And so what what do you see on the charts with uh, Polaris? Well, this is a great example of a potential accumulation and we can go back into uh, late 2015 and we can see this just wholesale uh, decline of the stock price. Yeah, so it's there's a big downtrend there, fall. right? Yeah, so it was, yeah. it was totally selling off right there. Yep. Look at the volume. So we expect to see volume ever growing as prices decline. And right into the lows, you can see a climactic surge which is immediately reversed with a pretty sharp rally. We call that an automatic rally. Now, and he, so we, that was around uh, January 29th of uh, 2016. So, right. So, okay, at, at that point, I, I see it. Yep. And so, what we would do is we would draw a support line under the low of the climax. Okay. And we would label that a, a buying climax. We'd give it a label. And then at the top of the rally into, uh, uh, June, we would st- we would draw a line over the top of the resistance area, and that would be uh, that would be the bound the outer bounds of our trading range okay. of our accumulation area. Doesn't mean we can't go above or below, but 
typically when we go beyond the uh, resistance area, the support area, those are uh, those will be temporary moves. And so you can see that there was an attempt to upthrust in 20 uh, late 2017, attempt to upthrust that area. It hung out there for a while and then collapsed right back down into the uh, support zone near the buying or the selling climax low. And so now we've turned, uh, we have attempts to go back down, but notice this, notice that the declines that are occurring here in 2019 are uh, short in duration and are not going very far. So immediately they're finding support. I contend that this is the composite operators putting bids under the market and buying stock near the support areas of around the area of the selling climax lows. And, and so, they, Bruce, let me interrupt you here for one second. So this is what you've described right now is essentially been a, a three-year kind of price and volume going back and forth, the battle between the, the bulls and bears where formed one trading range for between 2016 and 2017. It merged out of that, came back in, uh, and then formed another one. But the key is over the last four months or so, the base it's actually forming a base on on market Smith right now, and it's getting smaller and tighter, a little bit more narrow, meaning that more supp the supply of stock that's available for sale at these prices is starting to get soaked up. It, it we this whole area all the way back to the selling climax could very well be considered accumulation. Okay. And so this is a very compelling. And then notice that we're pivoting. Remember the term we talked about, the pivot or the hinge? Yeah. So you can see the higher lows here since December. And you can see the lower highs that's converging into a hinge. And it's already come out of that hinge on very high volume, wide-ranging spread, closing near the highs of the range. And if we can now consolidate in this area and then just keep going to the higher resistance areas, uh, this could very well be the completion of accumulation. So which is around like 120 to 140, that those kind of areas right there for, for the new right. resistance areas. And so now this is something that we can circle back to in a later episode, but we would do point figure analysis okay. of this the this structure and point figure analysis gives us a way to be able to estimate how much price potential there is in the appreciation of the stock if it can jump out of this accumulation area and that's a very cool tool totally old school been around forever not many people know how to use it right. i'm trying to revive it <laughs> uh talk, talking about it writing about it yeah. and uh, so we'll come back and do point figure at a later date and that, that that's perfect so so right now polaris is trying to uh, get out of a longer term uh trading range right here uh and it has on mark smith with the pattern recognition form the consolidation that it's right near the pivot on that area and, and if it gets to that it could start a, a new uptrend here uh, and we have a big point figure count and and you have a big point and figure count that could lead to a, a more significant move in the long run now bruce one, one thing i learned from you years ago especially when you're using these point and figures and, and getting these large counts is 
when they started to move, you would uh, react with glacier-like intensity, right? You, you, you would really hold for that longer part of the movie because you had that count and you're going more for that projected move. Well, that and that's that's exactly right. I am a campaign uh, trader. I'm looking for stocks that I can campaign for big moves that can go for long periods of time. And so that's my nature. That's what I like to do. But also you can use point figure on a much shorter term time horizon and you can trade for the much smaller swing trading moves. And I love to do that analysis. And I also do a lot of intraday point and figure analysis. And that's a lot of fun. And so um, I tend to do all time frames, but I'm primarily a campaign, call it investor in, in, my, in my work. Perfect. Because I'm trying to be consistent with what the objectives of the composite operator are. So where where they're going is where I want to go. Right. Yeah. In the end, you just want to go where where, where the big money's going. Uh, right. Let's go to the second stock here. This is uh, PPG Industries ticker symbol PPG. And now you can see there's another large trendy range here, and this one's getting into uh, definitely 52 week highs and near all time highs. It seems. So uh, this is just a classic. Uh, example of a high level reaccumulation is what we would call this and notice on the left side of the chart all the volatility so you can see big declines big swings up big declines this is and this is what we were talking about with phases yeah is that the early phases of an accumulation or reaccumulation area will behave differently than the late phases and I can show you the an example in this very chart and this is why patience, why cough lends itself to us having patience. So you can see all the white swings on the left side over there. And it's very volatile up and down, up and down. Well, look what happens as we get over to the right side of the reaccumulation area. And notice how these declines are becoming ever uh, shorter in duration and also less intense in terms of how much they're declining. So you can look back in uh, really in 2019 and look at each of the declines is less than the prior decline. Yes. And the most recent one, it basically just went sideways and uh, consolidated that area and then jumped right out. And uh, so this is how, these are the things that we train our eye to look for in the chart is we look for the change of character on the right side of the chart from the left side of the chart. And, and, we, and going from that volatility where large bars, if you're looking at a bar chart, uh, and then they just start tightening up more and more and more, meaning that less eyes are watching it at that point, and there's also less shares for sale. And, and get this, on the left side of the chart, is where it's easiest for the composite operator types to build their position. Interesting. Because there's so much fear yeah. associated with the volatility and the steep declines. Yeah. They can buy stock on a scale down towards support, and they can buy lots of stock. On the right side of the chart where you have a series of higher lows and diminishing volatility, they're having a very difficult time buying the amount of stock that they want to buy. Yeah, and, and that's an important concept. It doesn't matter if you're following Wyckoff, O'Neill, if you're looking at point-and-figure charts or bar charts. 
recognizing that volatility shift going from volatility to really start to see bases tight action and short bars that's telling you everything that you need uh, about if the stock's being accumulated or not well and wyckoff and and o'neill both are methodologies that really help us to have the patience to wait for these completions yes and that's the key we we're working in methodologies that help us to seek the right moment and that is that's where mastery comes in we're attempting to develop mastery so that's perfect let's go to the third stock here this is sonos uh ticker symbol s-o-n-o and uh these guys they make a lot of uh, audio equipment uh for the homes a lot of speakers uh, and kind of the the wireless speakers that are attached to the TVs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they're a newer IPO from 2018, and uh, they're going through that accumulation process too. It looks like. Well, the, this is a, a small little company, and it's interesting because it's uh, going through a cyclic uh, distribution markdown climax accumulation range attempt to jump out and now it's backing up uh after jumping out of its accumulation area it's backing up to the top of that accumulation area and uh i use the term uh ipo disease this stock has the <laughs> ipo disease and uh it's actually a good thing i actually believe that the composite operator types love to see these ipos come out go public, they're good companies, and then they just swoon. They just go into these big cyclic declines. And, and they exactly almost take what, like a year two, to two years to form these kind of large bases where the, these composite operators or institutions can start accumulating those shares. Right. And so they're, they're buying at a value point. You can see the climax, the automatic rally. You can see the outer boundaries of resistance and support as defined by those two simple points. And then there's attempts to go down in Sonos and diminishing volatility on each attempt to decline in the accumulation area. Finally, there's a little bit of a spring. That's a term we use in Wyckoff where it springs a key prior low, goes below it declines below the area of the key prior low temporarily and can't hold below it and then turns really sharply and that's exactly what's happened with sonos and that was and around so august of 2019 right it looked like for during the summer it could not sell off lower than ten dollars and then it just kept tightening up tightening up undercut ten dollars one last time and if you look at this on a weekly chart then definitely pull it up and take a look at it on a weekly chart on the week of august 9th you, you see it go below ten dollars and then bam you see that spring kind of go right back up well above ten dollars almost at twelve dollars huge outside day and it just begins a nice run up and out right. which is evidence of absorption being complete and so we have evidence here in this little company this is not like the prior to prior to great uh, inst institutional industrial type companies uh, that have dividends and have been paying dividends a long time this mm -hmm. is a little emerging company but it has uh, it could very well have a tremendous growth story 
And uh, so now we have it up and out and it's backing up. Well, notice how when it's backing up towards the old resistance area, which is now support. Mm -hmm. That's around that the $12. The volume is drying up. Yep. It's around the $12 area and now volume is drying up. And with the Marksmith pattern recognition, it's starting to pick up a consolidation there. And when volume dries up on the decline and you have diminishing volatility in the price bars at the same time, that is a classic clue that the stock is tired of going down. There's no supply of stock available to be bought. It's just resting at these areas. And that if we can now get another pivot up here off of this old resistance area, which is new support, that it could be the beginning of a, of a good uptrend in the stock or the emergence of an uptrend. Yeah, And, and it's got a nice point figure chart that goes up to uh, – uh, into the low 20s just on a swing trading basis perfect and, and and so for those of you when 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 you get back home pull up a mark smith chart look on the the weekly chart and look at the lat look at really most of october and the end of september and you'll see how the weekly bars really get tight and then look at that weekly volume there's no, not a lot of trading there it's very very quiet and this is why bruce is saying that you know it's it's getting tired of going down there's no more selling at that point. And so now it is set up if you get that catalyst to, to break out higher and move on to 14 and, and could even project up to, to $20. So there are three stocks to consider uh, during this market. Definitely add them to a watch list and, and do your analysis. But remember, patience and waiting for the right moment is everything in investing. Have that plan, plan your trade, and trade your plan. Thanks, Bruce, for joining us today. Oh, my gosh. It was, it's a thrill to be here. And um, I am starting a uh, in the process of developing a newsletter that's going to be oriented towards these types of stocks. And it's going to be in stocks that produce not only the growth potential that you can define with point figure charts and Wyckoff, but also in they have income characteristics and they uh and if anybody's interested in uh, being alerted when the letter becomes available, it, they can email me at bruce at highgrowthincome.com. So that's bruce at highgrowthincome.com, right? Perfect. And just send us an email, and as soon as this is ready to go, uh, we'll uh, uh, get back to you. Excellent. We're definitely looking forward to, to, to seeing that. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we are going to have Tom Dorsey on the show. Now, Tom is the founder of Dorsey Wright, and he sold his company to NASDAQ a couple of years ago. Now, he's one of the legends in the technical analysis world, and he too, like Bruce, is a big point-in-figure chart fan and really has spent his life trying to spread the word of point-in-figure and relative strength. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. 
This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decision.